the Sunday Sermons Podcast. This is a special day for several reasons. Uh, Memorial Day weekend is a wonderful uh, weekend. I think it's really important that we do remember the things that have already been remembered in several ways today. But as we continue through this series simply called Jesus, and we're just kind of marinating and percolating in him and the things he did, things he said, I I think it's appropriate that we look and see what Jesus had to say about Memorial Day. Well, thanks for being here. I'm joking, of course, because even though America didn't exist for centuries and centuries after Jesus actually walked on this planet, there were a lot of things that Jesus very intentionally remembered. There were several things that Jesus encouraged us, even commanded us to remember, and in specific ways. And those are some things I think we really need to take a look at today. And before we do that, just a quick reminder if you will, throughout the scriptures, the words and the phrases that we translate as remember in English really have more in the original language. It has more to do with acting on something that you know than it does with just thinking the thought again in your head. Here's some examples from the Bible just to bring this back. Hopefully this is really familiar to most of you that have been here for quite some time. But here's, here's some examples. It says in the account in Genesis of the flood, it says that God remembered Noah when he was at the end of the, the flood. And it's not like God forgot, right? It's not like he's like, oh no, the guy's in the boat. You know, <laughs> like he, he what, it, what it meant was now it's time to make the waters go down. Now it's time to start rebooting things. And then he set up the rainbow and he said, every time you see this, uh, you, you'll know I will never flood the world again. This is a reminder about that. And you see it in several other ways. Genesis 19, 29. So when God destroyed the cities of the plain, he remembered Abraham. And he brought Lot out of the catastrophe that overthrew the cities where Lot had lived. Again, he hadn't forgotten anybody, but he, in honor of this relationship he had with Abraham, he took action and saved his nephew Lot. Exodus 2.24, God heard their groaning and he remembered his covenant with Abraham, with Isaac, and with Jacob. He hadn't forgotten Israel, but this was after centuries of waiting. It seemed like he'd forgotten, but he hadn't. But after centuries of waiting, he acts on this covenant. Is this tracking? Does this make sense? It's so important because this is the way that Jesus remembered things. And it's the only way that it makes total sense is when we understand where he is coming from. Philippians chapter 3 shows us that the apostles also understood this and took it the other direction. When they're talking about forgetting, they're not talking about literally forgetting, like they're incapable of remembering. It doesn't appear in your head anymore. They're saying they are intentionally not acting on those things anymore. He writes, Paul writes, Brothers and sisters, I do not consider myself yet to have taken hold of it. But one thing I do, forgetting what is behind and straining toward what is ahead, I press on toward the goal to win the prize for which God has called me heavenward in Christ Jesus. So to remember in the biblical sense is to act on something that we know we're supposed to do, something that's important. Something that's important to God. It needs to be important to us. To forget something is to put it aside, to let it go, 
Much like when we forgive someone else. We like to say forgive and forget, and a lot of times we struggle with that because we're like, how could I possibly forget? Well, you don't literally forget. You set it aside. You refuse to act on that anymore. That's what it was talking about in Exodus 20, verse 8, when God says, remember the Sabbath day by keeping it holy. He'd already established the Sabbath all the way back at creation. And some of his followers, at least, had practiced it in one way or another up till then. But then he made it part of the Mosaic law, and he encouraged them to remember it, to practice it, to do something about it, to make it actually happen, and to keep it holy, to keep it set apart, to keep it special and clean and for a specific purpose. If you're interested in not only the Sabbath, but all of the feasts of Israel, I encourage you to go to a website called thattheworldmayknow.com. And that is uh, by a guy named Dr. Ray Vanderland. is one of the main contributors to that. Some of you may know his work from Sunday school and some other stuff. But really good stuff. Here's the bottom line you need to know today. Jesus practiced all of those things regularly. The things that God told the Israelites to do, the feasts, the cyclical system of feasts, the Sabbaths, he did that every single year of his life. It was part of his rhythm. It was a, a memorial to him. It was something that he did over and over. And when we see Jesus, and if you're following the 100 Days of Jesus reading plan, and I hope you are, but if you're walking this, you're going to see more and more him violating the Sabbath. At least it looks like it. What, 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 I, what we need to remember is this. To Jesus and to us, why has always got to be more important than what? Why is greater than what? Would you say that with me? Why is greater than what? Here, here's what I mean by that. When it comes to the Sabbath, Jesus intentionally broke all the man-made rules about the Sabbath because he was remembering it in the biblical sense. He knew that the original purpose of God was that we rest on that day. We remember him on that day. We refocus on that day. We recharge. We reboot. You could use any other word that starts with re or, or other words that don't. But you get the idea. It's a pause. It's a rest. It's a time to, to get a whole new start. Things are different somehow after you remember and I hope that even on seasons like Memorial Day weekend, where a lot of times it's just like, oh, I finally get a break. And that's pretty much all we think about. I hope that we take some time to remember that this country is free because of those sacrifices. What are we doing with that freedom? Those are some good questions to ask. And when it comes to Jesus, it's so important that we ask those same kinds of questions. And so as you watch what Jesus is doing and what he's saying, don't get distracted by how many times he's quote-unquote violating the Sabbath. He's not trying to disobey. He's trying to reset what God had originally intended. He's doing this on purpose. He is celebrating the Sabbath over and over by healing people and doing other good things. Let's go to John chapter 2. When it was almost time for the Jewish Passover, Jesus went up to Jerusalem. And in the temple courts, he found people selling cattle, sheep, and doves, and others sitting at tables exchanging money. So he made a whip out of cords and drove all from the temple courts, both sheep and cattle. 
He scattered the coins of the money changers and overturned their tables. We talked about this just a couple weeks ago, and I said I'd come back to it because we were talking about something else. This was actually one of the very first things he did to kick his ministry off. And, and, and to do this kind of stuff on the Sabbath was violating the man-made rules of the Sabbath. But he was saying, no, you're also forgetting what the temple is about, what the court of the Gentiles is about, what these sacrifices are about. We're starting over here. Jesus is all about new beginnings. Does this sound familiar? Hallelujah. Now we go to John chapter 5. We're going to skip over Nicodemus and the story in Samaria, which we looked at last week. We're going to go to John 5, and we're going to look at several more times where Jesus practiced memorials in surprising ways. John 5. Sometime later, Jesus went up to Jerusalem for one of the Jewish festivals. Now there is in Jerusalem, near the Sheep Gate, a pool, which in Aramaic is called Bethesda, and which is surrounded by five colored, I'm sorry, covered colonnades. Here a great number of disabled people used to lie. The blind, the lame, the paralyzed. One who was there had been an invalid for 38 years. Now, this is one of those don't get tripped up moments. Now, we've had one of those so far in every one of these messages. I'm not sure we'll have them in every single one. But as you're reading through the scriptures, I don't want you to get dis distracted. And I don't want you to like start having all these doubts and, and big questions. If you're really paying attention, you'll notice in most modern translations, there is no John chapter 5 verse 4. You probably have some sort of a little footnote there. And, and there's a good reason for that. Uh, a lot of people don't understand how we got the Bible, and I don't want to derail too hard, but this really tripped me up when it first noted. Why are they taking this out of the Bible? What happened to that line about the angel coming and stealing, stirring up the water? And what we now know, because of all the really ancient texts and all kinds of extra stuff that people have found over time, is in the original manuscripts, it's pretty much how we read it in any version today. But someone, some of the scribes at some point, to clarify what the guy was talking about, they added a little footnote. But back then it wasn't really a footnote. They didn't have a little asterisk and a little thing at the bottom. That's not how scrolls worked. But they added kind of a parenthetical phrase that what the people believed at that time was that that pool would sometimes get stirred up. And that was an angel stirring it up. And whoever got in first would get healed. There's nowhere in the Bible except for that that even mentions that, and we're not, I don't believe that was probably even a true thing, but it was something they believed. But in, in all the earliest manuscripts, that part is out. So if you're looking through there, this is actually one of the biggest evidence in a weird way that we can trust the Scriptures, because there's almost no examples of things like this. Uh, and all of it was handwritten time after time after time after time after time. People's whole life was this. And some of them cared enough to add some footnotes, kind of have a study scroll, if you will. And it was kind, they were trying to be nice. It just got confusing later. Does that make sense? But, but this was some, uh, the, the fact that there are so few of these questions in the text at all shows just how meticulous they were to pass on the original inspired word of God over and over and over again. But if that tripped you up, that's all it is. It was a kind of a study Bible help in the original manuscripts. Here we go. Coming back to John chapter 5. When Jesus saw him lying there, and he learned that he had been in this condition for a long time, he asked him, do you want to get well? Sir, the invalid replied, I have no one to help me. 
into the pool when the water is stirred. While I'm trying to get in, someone else goes down ahead of me. And then Jesus said to him, get up, pick up your mat and walk. At once the man was cured. He picked up his mat and walked. And the day on which this took place was the Sabbath. So Jesus is doing this not only on a festival, but on a Sabbath. Are you starting to see a pattern here? He's reminding people that new beginnings, things being different on the other side of these special days is the whole point. Just remembering them in the sense that we tend to use the word remember is not what God had in mind. Remembering in the original sense, the biblical sense, reset, refocus, reboot. That's what's important. The why is greater than the what. And that's why it's so important that we remember every time we gather here together that we serve a risen king. Would you say that out loud with me? We serve a risen king. Think about that for a second. He's alive. These aren't things we're just remembering from long ago. These are things we are practicing now in his honor. And every time we get back together, every time we gather in his name, we're not just looking back. We're looking deep inside. We're looking all around. We're looking forward. We are totally submitting to a risen, living Savior and to his spirit inside of us. That changes the game entirely, doesn't it? It's not just about looking back. It's not just about, oh, yeah, it's this day, so we got to do this. It's it's. There should be something changes every time because we're in a real, dynamic, actual relationship with a risen king. The Passover reminded the Israelites about the story of God delivering them in e Egypt so many years ago. And they kept it, by and large, all the way from when he saved them from Egypt, all the way up to the time of Christ, and even up till now. Most uh, Jews still celebrate that. And in the same way that it looked back, but also looked forward to the coming Messiah, Jesus, and we just celebrated here, Jesus actually formed a new kind of memorial for us at one of the Passovers. You've heard of this before, right? Thank you for sharing that earlier today. But Jesus died. Jesus rose. Jesus now reigns. And Jesus will return. And when we celebrate this memorial together, we're remembering all of those. We are with the intention that we'll do something about it. We're called to examine ourselves in light of this risen king and be different, to interact with him, to commune with him during that time. And, and to, it's a moment where we reset. And anything less than that is just not anything close to what he originally had in mind. Paul really uh, sometimes says some simple things that are so deep we miss it. I love in 2 Timothy 2.8, he says, Remember... Jesus Christ, raised from the dead, descended from David, this is my gospel. If we misunderstand the word gospel and we think that means how to get to go to heaven, we're, something's missing here, right? Remember the word gospel, euangelion in the original, is, is a proclamation, a royal proclamation of who the king is and what he says goes. And this is what Paul is saying. You want, you want to know what to remember that honors Jesus? Jesus. He is the king because he earned it. 
He's a king because he was in the right line. God had set him up. He deserved it in the first place. He is king. And everything else about the gospel, every other command of Jesus, every other teaching, every other thing that has any importance at all has importance because Jesus is our risen king. And we do what he says. Is this tracking? Hallelujah. There's several other things that Jesus wanted us to remember besides communion. Uh, one of which was the story of a woman who anointed his feet. We looked at that story as well just a little bit ago. Here's one verse from that. Mark 14, 9. Truly I tell you, Jesus said, wherever the gospel, the royal proclamation that he is king, truly I tell you, wherever the gospel is preached throughout the world, what she has done will also be told in memory of her. And sure enough, it is. We just did it again today. But we don't just remember, isn't that cool, or isn't that weird, or isn't that, uh, what was that about? We don't just remember that it happened. The idea is that we remember that she got it. She got that he was worth completely humiliating herself. She was worth risking everything to show him honor, to show him respect. And that's how we should always live as well. Let's talk about the Passover again just for a second. If you want to read more about the Passover, it's in Exodus 12, where God first lines it all out. It's a wonderful, beautiful meal with several different elements. Uh, the way it's uh, done today is a little bit different than the way it was done back then, but the same basic elements are there. But two of the elements that were the most important Jesus kind of reclaimed and took to the next level at the original Lord's Supper. Let's look at Mark's account. Mark 14, 12. On the first day of the festival of unleavened bread, that's another name for Passover, when it was customary to sacrifice the Passover lamb, Jesus' disciples asked him, where do you want us to go and make preparations for you to eat the Passover? Notice he does, they don't say, hey, do you want to celebrate the Passover this year? They already knew the answer to that one. They say, hey, where do you want to do it this time? They knew this was a given. While they were eating, Jesus took bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it, and he gave it to his disciples, saying, take it. This is my body. And then he took a cup. And when he had given thanks, he gave it to them, and they all drank from it. This is my blood of the covenant, which is poured out for many. He said to them. See, on the night that his sacrifice began, on the night his victory over sin and death began, Jesus revealed the ultimate fulfillment of this Passover. Uh, up until then, it had meant what it meant. This is another one of those, what some people call cyclical prophecies, where it was made and it was fulfilled and it meant what it meant in the Old Testament, and there it was. But then the New Testament people are looking at something Jesus didn't go and Oh, wow. Next level. Does this sound familiar? We did uh, several of these over the last several weeks. This is one more. It was pointing to the Messiah. They always had a, a plate set aside for the Messiah. He's going to show up someday. If he shows up tonight, hey, he, he's got a plate set. They were always looking forward. Jesus takes that bread and that cup, and he goes, this means more than you think it knows. This is my body. This is my blood. And I want you to do this to remember me. 
The, the words he used made it clear that it was something that they were supposed to do repeatedly, not just that night, but over and over. And even though he doesn't specify, and I think it's important to note, he does not specify. He doesn't say do this every week, every quarter, every year. He, do, he doesn't spell it out. He just makes it clear that they're supposed to do it and keep doing it. Do this. This is something you're going to do to remember me. It's also very clear and worth noting that the, the original disciples, the original followers, the first church, they got this, that this was a memorial you were supposed to do all the time. They actually, in one way or another, broke bread every single day. And very clearly on the first day of the week. In Acts chapter 2, verses 42 to 47, we see a lot of that. And in Acts 27, Paul just casually mentions going through, meeting with this one church. And he says, on the first day of the week, we came together to break bread. That's talking about communion. The reason, one of the main reasons they were getting together on a Sunday was to have this meal together. Paul spoke to the people, and because he intended to leave the next day, kept on talking until midnight. That's a great story, by the way. Acts 20, you should look that up. It doesn't have anything to do with what we're talking about today other than this, but it's an awesome, funny story. But later on, Paul actually really tears into the Corinthian church because they had gotten so far off track with communion. They'd made it into this big meal where some people were actually getting overfed and drunk from the bread and the wine, and some people weren't getting any. They weren't really remembering Jesus in any sense of the word. And in the middle of him trying to straighten them out, he says this, For I received from the Lord what I also passed on to you. The Lord Jesus, on the night he was betrayed, took bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And in the same way, after supper, he took the cup, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this whenever you drink it in remembrance of me. For whenever you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. This is why we do this. This isn't just a tradition. It's not something that we really think we'll just forget about Jesus if we don't. We are celebrating this memorial because we serve a risen king. It's always so important that that's how we celebrate everything he tells us to do. We're about to turn the corner and start to wrap up. I hope that you don't uh, get lost, uh, get derailed by, by this either. But we're going to go with one more short little glimpse of Jesus doing something amazing on a Sabbath. And then revisit the story we already looked at in a different way. Let's look at John chapter 9. Here's another one. In John chapter 9, Jesus actually heals a blind man and in one of the most surprising and gross ways ever. This is another one of those places that I would go... Well, that doesn't sound like Jesus. And then I have to go, well, who is this Jesus that I'm comparing to the actual Jesus in the text? And that's a mistake we dare not make. That's why we're doing this. This is just a reminder that we always look at what Jesus actually did and make our judgments and our ideas based on what he actually did and said, not what we already think about him. But this guy, he wants to be healed, and he's blind, remember? And then the next thing he hears is... <sighs> I don't know about you, but I'd be running. Like, are you serious right now? After saying this, he, that's Jesus, spit on the ground. He made some mud with the saliva. He put it on the man's eyes. 
Go, he told him, wash in the pool of Siloam. This word means sent, that word Siloam. And so the man went and washed and came home seeing. I love that. He went, did what Jesus told him. He washed, did what Jesus told him. And a miracle happened. He went home seeing. And that should always be how we celebrate everything that we celebrate in honor of Jesus. We do what he says, the way he says to do it, and then we can expect to see more clearly, to feel more clearly, to understand, to live differently. There's going to be a change. That's why eventually we can say with Paul, for me to live is Christ. To die is gain. I'd like to show you a short clip from The Chosen. Uh, this is their account, their version of the story of uh, Jesus healing the guy by the pool. And uh, if you're watching this, I encourage you to use it the way I'm, I'm using it. Don't just assume that every single line is directly out of Scripture because it's not. They're using their imagination. But they have done quite a bit of research, and a lot of this stuff is, is accurate. And a lot of times what it does is it helps me ask better questions. It drives me back into the text. And the things that they have Jesus saying in this particular clip are pretty Jesus-y sort of things. So I'd really like you to just kind of watch this with me. Somebody could grab the lights at the back, and let's watch this together. Do you want to be healed? Who are you? We'll get to that later. But my question remains. Will you take me to the water? Look, I'm having a really bad day. You've been having a bad day for a long time. So? Sir, I have no one to help me into the water when it's stirred up. And when I do get close, the others Step down in front of me. And so... Look at me. Look at me. That's not what I asked. I'm not asking you about who's helping you. Or who's not helping. Or who's getting in your way. I'm asking about you. I've tried. For a long time, I know. And you don't want false hope again, I understand. But this pool, it has nothing for you. It means nothing. And you know it. But you're still here. Why? I don't know. You don't need this pool. You only need me. So, do you want to be healed? 
So let's go. Get up. Pick up your mat. And walk. to walk, like he said. Don't forget your bed. Why does this matter? Because you're not coming back here. That life is over. Everything changes now. I'm not asking you who's helping you who's not helping, or who's getting in your way. I'm asking about you. I can't show you a verse in the Bible that says this, but doesn't that sound like Jesus? That's always, always how he approaches us. What are you going to do about it? And whenever we celebrate communion or we celebrate just the t a chance to worship or to give or any of the other things that we have a chance and the freedom in this country to celebrate, when we choose to do it, there's a possibility that we could be healed. We could be changed. We could, everything could be different on the other side. That depends on you. That depends on me. What are we going to do about it? I, see, I don't know this morning what you, each one of you, need to remember or refocus on or recharge or how you need to reboot, but you do, and Jesus does. What are you going to do about it? And I don't know, as we serve this risen king together, I don't know what offer of his he needs you to accept today. I don't know what you need to start doing or stop doing so you can serve our risen king more faithfully, but you do, and he does. What are you going to do about it? Whatever that answer is for you this morning, we're going to stand, we're going to sing, and I encourage you to make that choice. There'll be somebody at the front and at the back if you want to talk to them, if you've got a decision to make, if it needs to be a public one, be bold, be courageous, make it. Do what Jesus asked us to do. That's the best way to remember him.